Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus foretells his death. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Well, morning, everybody. It's good to see you. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name's Alan. I'm one of the the pastors here in our church at Village. Um, now, there are times in life whenever uh, it's really important to get someone's identity right, isn't it? Uh, when it's crucial to identify someone correctly, um, there are times whenever it, it doesn't really make too much of a difference. Like if after the service you come up and, and you called me John, well, you know, that's not a big deal. <laughs> it's a disservice to John, but it, it, I'll take it. It's fine, it'll pass. Um, but there are other times when it is, it is really crucial to make sure that you've got someone right, that, that you know who they really are. I have a friend who, a few years ago, uh, he was taking a youth group on a mission trip to Africa. Uh, and the, the guy, he, he was in charge of this youth group, and his sister was one of the people who was on that trip. Uh, and in the airport, they were waiting for boarding. Uh, and you know, as you do when you're, you're kind of waiting for boarding uh, and you're gate to be called, you maybe go and you're in the shops, people are kind of mixing around. The group was sort of dispersed, but then the gate was called, and so um, everybody, a big crowd of people, was making their way uh, towards the gate. Uh, and um, this guy, my friend, uh, he, he thought he saw his sister up ahead in this crowd of people. And I don't know what came over him. I don't know what ever possessed him to do this, but he, he ran up ahead, uh, and he, he got the girl in, in a headlock and threw her hoodie over her head, only to realize that it wasn't actually his sister. Um, and it was just someone who from a distance looked very like his sister. And after much apologizing and much explaining, he managed to avoid a punch from the girl's dad and also criminal charges for assault. Um, and apparently the best part, I wasn't there, but apparently the best part of it all was watching someone trying to explain that they were in fact uh, taking a youth group on a mission trip to Africa uh, after they had done probably the most immature thing that anyone had ever seen. So there are times in life whenever it is crucial to identify someone correctly, to make sure that we've got the right person. And what we're going to see over these next two weeks, as we study Luke chapter 9, verses 22 to 27, because you can kind of take it all as one package together, what we're going to see is that understanding the true identity of Jesus Christ, being sure about who he really is, is the single most important identification anyone can make in life. Getting Jesus right, knowing who Jesus Christ really is, really matters. It matters for all of us in this room. It matters for every single person you know and love, every person who has ever walked in the face of this earth. Knowing who Jesus is really matters because it has eternal ramifications. Knowing who Jesus is really matters because in a world that is so desperate 
to, to know who we really are and why we're really here in a world that is identity-driven in so many ways. It's a world that is identity-confused as well in so many ways. To understand who we really are, we must understand first who Jesus Christ really is. And knowing who Jesus is really matters because as his followers in this room, the only way to understand what our lives on this earth will be like it is to know who Jesus is and what his life on earth was really like. Why he came, what he did. Because the way Jesus went, the path that he walked, is the one that we will walk in following him. That's what we're going to see next week. So as we come to this crucial passage in Luke's gospel, a real a kind of climactic point and as we hear Jesus ask this question, who do you say that I am? We cannot distance ourselves from that question. We cannot skirt it. We cannot avoid it because the truth is, this isn't a question that his disciples just have to answer. It isn't a question that just other people in this church have to answer. It will one day be a question that we all have to answer. Jesus says to each one of us, who do you say I am? So before we get going in the passage, why don't I pray and ask for God's help in studying his word, and then we'll get going. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it's living and it's breathed out by you, for, help, for how it helps us to have a true and proper vision of, of who you really are and what you're like. You are majestic, Lord, as we have sung already. There is no one like you in all the earth. And I pray this morning that, that we see Jesus more clearly than ever before, that our love for Jesus would grow deeper this morning, and we would understand ourselves and who we really are in light of who he is. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So when it comes to this question of who Jesus Christ really is, there are three things I want us to see in this passage this morning, in verses 18 to 22. And the first is this. There is curiosity and confusion. Curiosity and confusion. Look at verse 18. Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Now, again, just to stop there, we've seen this time and time again in Luke's gospel more than any other. In fact, that Luke is showing us just how much of a priority Prayer was in the life of Jesus Christ, in his ministry on earth. He is continually carving out time to be with his Father, to just slow down and be in his presence. I have so much to learn from the prayer life of Jesus. Maybe you feel the same way. So Jesus is with his disciples, and in verse 18, he turns to them and he asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? So he wants to know the word in the street. Who do people think? that I am. And look how his disciples answered in verse 19. John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now, it's really interesting to know that up until this point, Jesus hasn't actually himself declared who he is openly. He hasn't said that he is the Messiah. In fact, the only ones who have are God the Father at Jesus' baptism back in Luke chapter 3, the angels, when they proclaimed the good news of his birth to the shepherds, and the demons, when they have been confronted by Jesus. So as yet, Jesus himself 
hasn't actually said, I am the Christ. I am the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah. He's obviously, he's made clear allusions to the fact that, that the messianic age has arrived. He's alluded to the fact that in his coming, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah are being fulfilled. And we saw um, that in chapter four that that was seen. And then it's clear also from the miraculous things that he's been doing that the kingdom of God is breaking through on earth. But Jesus obviously very intentionally hasn't explicitly said who he is. Because as we'll see later on, understanding his true identity, knowing who he is, is a matter of faith, trust, belief. And so in the disciples' response as to who the crowds say Jesus is, we can see that there's this air of uncertainty. People don't know what to believe. There's curiosity. There's confusion. We've seen some of the curiosity already. Remember Herod in chapter 9? He's perplexed when he hears all that Jesus is doing. And he's hearing the same things that the disciples say here. Some of the people think that Jesus is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was the man sent by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He came proclaiming that Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was coming into the world. And that the people needed to get ready. They needed to repent, to turn back to God. And and maybe you can see why there's some confusion. Uh, Because just like John, the core of Jesus' teaching was that the kingdom of God had come And so repentance was needed. Others are saying that that he's Elijah returned. So Elijah, he's one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, one of the heroes of the Israelite people. He's the one who came and proclaimed the coming of God's new order in the world. And not only that, he worked miracles. One of those miracles being providing an abundance of food, food that didn't run out, in fact, and there was so much left over kind of similar to what we saw Jesus do last week. And then others are saying that Jesus is just one of the prophets of old. He is definitely sent by God. He's come with his power and authority, but he's just one in a long line of prophets. Now, one thing to notice about these responses is that they're all positive views of Jesus. These are people that are held in very high regard The picture they have of Jesus isn't necessarily a bad one, but it's an incomplete one. And because of that, it's actually an incorrect one. They've misidentified Jesus because he is so much more than who the crowds believe him to be. And isn't what we see here, isn't it what we have seen throughout history and see even in our world today, So much confusion about who Jesus really is. So many different thoughts and theories about his identity. People coming to all the wrong conclusions. Reducing him to something that he is not. Some people think that Jesus was just a good man. A good teacher. A moral example. Someone who gives us a a better way to live. Some people just try and take samplings of Jesus' teaching, aspects of his character, the bits that they kind of like, that fit well with their worldview. And they just major on those things. They, they kind of blow them up out of proportion. And they take those things to be everything that Jesus Christ is. But unless we take Jesus for all of the fullness of what the Bible says about him, well, then we end up having an incomplete and an incorrect picture of him. 
Others have said that Jesus was nothing more than a charismatic faith healer, a wise philosopher, someone like Plato or Buddha. Even other religions have their views about Jesus too. Islam, for example, it says that Jesus is just a prophet who's inferior to the prophet Muhammad. And then others in the world throughout history have just discounted the existence of Jesus altogether. They believe him to be a made-up, mythical kind of figure, someone the church manufactured to fit their agenda. But even non-Christian historical resources and sources outside of the Bible have proved that theory wrong. Historian Tom Holland, who isn't actually a Christian himself, he says, there are no credible historians in the world today who would deny the existence of the historical Jesus Christ. So yes, Jesus was a real human being who walked and talked on this earth for 33 years before he was brutally murdered by the Roman government. And yes, the Bible would say he is a prophet. He is a miraculous healer. He is a moral teacher. But when he is reduced to just those things, he is not seen in all his fullness. And he is not being given the glory and the honor that is due his name. Ligon Duncan is an American pastor, and he said this, to say that Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or a prophet or one who has taught us to love or one who fought for righteousness or justice or morality in society is not to do him justice. They may be well-intentioned compliments, but they do not live up to who he really is. There is no one like Jesus Christ. He is not an important figure in the historical hall of fame or religious hall of fame. He is in a league of his own, stratospheres above everyone else. He is the Son of God, God's anointed Messiah, the Savior who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is the King of King, kings and Lord of lords. And what honors Jesus is when he is worshiped for the fullness of who he really is. And as I was thinking about the implications of this for us as a church, this question came to my mind. By the way that we live as Christians, by the way that we speak as Christians, are we giving Jesus the honor and the glory that is due his name? Would people look at the way that we live and speak as a church, the things that we value as Christians, would they look at those things and be in no doubt that Jesus is Lord, Lord of all, not just some things, but Lord of all things. Lord over our finances and the way we spend our money. Lord over our relationships, our marriages, our singleness, our sexuality. Lord, over the way that we spend our time, the things we watch on TV, the things we look at on the internet. Because here's the thing, there is a very real danger in our culture, especially in our culture, I think, that by the way that we live as Christians or by the way that we speak as Christians, by the things that we value as Christians, that we reduce Jesus to something that he is not. And in doing so, we actually dishonor him we actually add to the confusion about him. 
We treat Jesus as just a good teacher with some wise things to say to, to tell us how we might live a bit better. We treat Jesus as just a good moral example to follow, someone who, who teaches us to be good living. We treat him as a God among all other gods and idols in our culture and our day and age. And if we do those things, church, sad through this, Jesus is not honored. And he is not exalted in such a way that the others see the fullness of his glory in us and experience the fullness of his glory through us. What honors Jesus is when he is worshiped for the fullness of who he is. So let's be a people, let's be a church who do that. And I was also thinking this week about this question that Jesus asks his disciples here. Who do the crowds say that I am? And I was imagining myself being there and Jesus asking that same question to me. Who do the crowds say that I am? Right now. Who do the people in your world around you say that I am? And you know what I realized? There are lots of people in my life, lots of people I rub shoulders with every day who I don't even know what they would say. I don't know what they think about Jesus. Do you know, I might make my assumptions about what they think, but making assumptions is safe. It's easy. It stops me from speaking to them about Jesus and about my faith in him. But you know, if I, I really believe that, that understanding the true identity of Jesus is the single most important identification that anyone can make in life, then why would I not ask? Why would I not want to find out what they think? I got my hair cut this week. <laughs> and uh, the reason I got my hair cut this week was because in preparing for this sermon, I realized that my barber, Jack, who I get on really well with, who I actually think we have we've more than just a barber-client relationship. I think we talk about loads of things. <laughs> we do, we do. And, uh, but I realized that, that Jack is someone I've talked to uh, about so many things in life. I've talked to him about church as well. But I, I do not know what he thinks about Jesus. I've never asked him. And so I booked in on Wednesday, 10 past one. And I, I went with the intention of asking Jack who he thinks Jesus Christ really is. And you know, God is so kind. He's so good. Because I was really freaking out about it. And I was asking people to pray for me. Ali was praying for me. Gabs was praying for me. John was praying for me. And I, I knew I had to do it then because there was the accountability. They were going to ask me. And, and you know, when I went in, it usually works alongside another guy. And Dylan wasn't there. He was on holiday. It was just me and Jack in the room. And I thought, God, you're so kind to me. And I was praying during getting my hair cut. And I was praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to just naturally, just very naturally ask him. And Jack, midway through the conversation, said, well, what about church? How's it going? And I thought, yes, Lord, I can't not now. And so I asked him. And you know, I'm not going to give you the full details of the conversation, but it was nothing groundbreaking. But what it was, was an opening, an open door to further conversation, an open door to, to, to maybe asking him further questions, to even maybe in the future inviting him to come along to church here on a Sunday, or maybe even inviting him to read the Bible with me and to understand who Jesus Christ really is. Listen, there is so much curiosity 
and confusion in this world. We might think that no one wants to know about Jesus, but there are lots of people who, who want to know about life and why they're really here. And they want to make sense of, of their purpose. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then we believe that it's knowing him that helps us to answer those big questions. So will we as God's people, with the help of God's spirit, go in his power to help bring people like Jack to a truer and fuller understanding of Jesus Christ and who he really is? When it comes to the identity of Jesus, there's curiosity and confusion in the world. And that's true of Jesus' day, but it's true of our own as well. But secondly, let's see the confession. Because Jesus has heard what the crowds say, but in verse 20, he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, that's what the people out there think, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Up until this point, he hasn't pushed his disciples to definitively give an answer. We know they've marveled at what he's done. We know that they've even been fearful as they've stood in his presence. But they've been asking this question. There's no doubt. Rattling around in their own hearts and minds. They've been asking it probably together as, as they've drawn back from Jesus. This is the moment when Jesus actually puts them on the spot and he asks them personally for an answer. And I said this at the start. We cannot distance ourselves from this. Because the stark reality is that there is a day coming, a day when Jesus Christ promises he will return to judge the living and the dead and every single person who has ever lived, every single one of us in this room will stand before him just as the disciples do here and he will ask us this question, who do you say that I am? And you know, on that day it won't matter what the world says. It won't matter what your parents believe. It won't matter what others in this church might profess, your confession of faith is what matters. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Peter, he, he acts as kind of the spokesperson for the rest of the disciples, and he says, you are the Christ of God. What an answer. 10 out of 10, gold star for Peter. He confesses that he and the rest of the disciples believe Jesus to be the Christ of God, even though he doesn't fully grasp what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, he still says, this is who we believe you to be. Christ, it isn't Jesus' surname. It's his title. It's who he is. It describes what he has come to do. He is the Christ. He is the one promised by God in the Old Testament who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He is the one who, who would come and restore God's people into right relationship with him again. He is the one who would come and bring salvation. Christ means anointed one, chosen one, because Peter recognizes and confesses in this moment that Jesus Christ is he. He is the savior of the nations. He is the one who makes the way back to God again. He is the one who would come and redeem and restore the broken creation. He is the one who would establish a kingdom of peace and justice and righteousness forever. He is the one who would destroy evil and swallow up death forever. He is the king of kings and he is the name above all names. And he is the one who every knee will bow one day 
and every tongue will confess exactly what Peter confesses here, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we might be asking, how did Peter figure this out? Wise old Peter, how did he, how did he get it right? Well, he's obviously seen with his own eyes the kind of power and authority that Jesus Christ has. He's seen him perform the miracles. He, he's heard him teach. He's seen him heal people of diseases and sicknesses, cast out demons, raise dead people to life again, feed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He's seen all of it happen. But you know what? So had many of the crowd. So many people have seen Jesus do the very same thing. So what made Peter come to this conclusion? Well, we have to go back to Matthew's gospel account of this conversation to get the answer to that. Because in Matthew 16, verses 17, it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you but my Father who is in heaven. See what Jesus is saying? Peter, you are absolutely bang on. You've got it right. But just so you know, you didn't come up with that yourself. You've been given this answer, graciously given it by God. You've got your, your information from a different source altogether. See, if Peter hadn't, his answer would have been the same as everyone else in the crowd. But Peter, he has been shown by God. His eyes have been opened by God to see the wonder and the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. It's so important that we understand this, that it's God and God alone who graciously gives us the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. If you're a Christian here this morning, you did not come to saving faith in Jesus by your own wisdom, your own works, your own ingenuity. No, you, you came to that place of confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord because God graciously revealed it to you. He opened your blind eyes and his, his light shone into your hearts to reveal the glory of the knowledge of Jesus Christ to you. Ephesians 2 says that, that saving faith is a gracious gift from God. We do not work for it. We do not earn it. God gives it to us. Which means that as Christians, we should be so incredibly humble, shouldn't we? We should be so incredibly thankful because we did not earn our salvation. We did not work for it. God has graciously chosen to reveal himself to us and give us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. And it also means that as Christians, we should be so prayerful for those who don't yet know Jesus. Because if only God has the pardon and blind eyes, if only he can do that work, then we must ask him to do that work. In the people's hearts and in their lives who, who we know who, who don't yet know Jesus Christ, we should be praying for them. And we should be looking for ways to point them to Jesus, to the truth about who he is. And where better to find the truth about Jesus than in God's word? When you ask that person maybe in your life this week who Jesus Christ really is, and you hear them give an answer, and maybe they're confused, maybe there's an element of curiosity in what they say. Imagine you followed up that question with, 
Would you be interested to find out who Jesus Christ really is? Because if you would, well, you know, I'd be really happy to, to read God's word with you, to read the Bible with you, and to help you understand. That's how I discovered who he really is. Do you want to go for a coffee, a drink, and we could maybe read it together? That might seem like a massive question. Do you know what? I, I've asked that question a few times in my life, and you'd be surprised because maybe my view in asking it was that the person was just going to shut it down straight away. But half the people I've asked in my life, of which that's only eight, four of them have said yes, and I have read the Bible with them. And none of them have come to faith in Jesus yet, but I pray that, that God uses what they've read to reveal himself to them. And I don't say that to, to make any of you go, oh, thank Alan's asked eight people, you know, he's read the Bible. No, I'm very ordinary, just like you. And there's nothing significant or special about what I know about the Bible either. I, I have used this to read the Bible with someone. I know other people in this room who have done exactly the same thing. The word one-to-one, -one, that is how I read the Bible with someone, the Gospel of John. It just helps to understand what it's saying. And the other person gets one too. And you just read it together. And it doesn't look like a Bible. And you can read it anywhere. And you know when you're finished reading it after the first time, you just say to them, do you want to continue? We can maybe do this again next week. What do you think? And if they say no, fine. You just move on. If they say yes, you continue. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe. That's the truth. So we pray for those who don't yet believe and we point those who don't yet believe to Jesus Christ, to the only one who can bring salvation. And we do that knowing if you're someone this morning who doesn't yet trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, we, we do all this knowing that God delights to reveal himself to those who are truly seeking him, to those who really humbly want to know. He delights to open eyes, to reveal the truth of the gospel. We've seen the curiosity and the confusion. We've seen the confession. And finally, and really briefly, I want us to see the cross before the crown. The cross before the crown. We're only going to touch on this today because we'll spend much more time in these verses again next week. But to truly understand who Jesus Christ really is and to get his identity right means understanding what he came to this earth to do. Really simply. And if you look towards the end of this section, chapter 9, Verse 51, it tells us that Jesus is starting a journey, a journey to glory. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, taken up where? Where's he going? To heaven again, to his Father's side, to eternal glory. That's where he's going. But before he gets there, he has a very important stop along the way in Jerusalem. That's where Luke says he has set his face to go. And why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, Jesus himself explains why in verse 22 this morning. He is going to Jerusalem because he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. See, before Jesus receives his crown in glory... He must suffer and die 
on a cross in Golgotha. And this is never what the disciples here or God's people at the time were expecting when they thought of the Messiah of the Old Testament. The picture that they had of the Messiah was of a a mighty military and political figure, a king who would come in power to liberate them from the oppression of Rome, a king who would stride into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman government, and restore the nation of Israel to a place of power and prominence in the world. That's what they thought of when they heard the word Messiah. And that's why in verse 21, Jesus strictly charges them right now and commands his disciples not to tell anyone yet because their picture of the Messiah isn't fully complete yet. They do understand that Jesus is he, but they don't understand what he has come to do yet. Jesus says, I don't want you to tell anyone yet because I've not come to be the Messiah that you want me to be. I have come to be the Messiah that you need me to be. And to be liberated from Rome, from their oppression, that is not what you need most. What you need most is to be liberated from sin and from death. You need salvation. And the truth is, it's the same for all of us in this room this morning. We need to be liberated from sin and death. We need salvation. But do you see why verses 21 and 22 are such good news for us, for the disciples? Because they tell us that that's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to fulfill God's salvation plan. He came to set us free from sin and death, to free us from everything that makes us guilty before God. He came to restore our broken relationship with him again. He came to to swallow up death forever so that our great enemy can be something that we do not need to fear anymore. He came to make the way for us to experience life with him now and glorious life with him forever and eternity. And Jesus says, I am the only one, the only one who can do this for you. And the only way for me to do it is to suffer and to die, to endure the cross before I receive the crown. Why would Jesus do this for his disciples? Why would he do this for us as his followers here this morning? I can imagine that being one of the questions that the disciples maybe asked him in the conversation that followed. We don't have it, but you can imagine. Why, Jesus? Why would the Messiah ever come to die? And you can see Jesus maybe in your mind just saying very plainly and very simply, because I love you. Because I love you. There is no other way. This is what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, to be our Messiah, to suffer, to be rejected, to be crucified, and to be resurrected to life on the third day. And if we believe in this Jesus, if we see that this is who Jesus really is, then we have got the real Jesus. And if we believe that this is what Jesus came to do for us, because he loves us, then we can actually become partakers of the life that he has come to offer. Life now, life forever in eternity.
If you're a Christian this morning, I pray that that fills you with such joy and thankfulness. And as you come to the table this morning, just to to be reminded of who Jesus Christ really is and to be reminded of what he has done for you, he came, the, the eternal son of God, the Messiah, to die for you because he loves you. His body was broken and his blood was shed for you. We come to the table and we ask ourselves that question, who is Jesus Christ? And each of us as Christians can say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Amen. If you're someone who wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, this meal isn't yet for you because it only makes sense for followers of Jesus Christ. But as you stand and sing our our last couple of songs, will you consider this question again? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Understanding his identity, being sure about who he really is, is the single most important identification you will make in your life. I pray that you will see him for who he is, and I pray that you will trust him as Christ the Lord. Will you stand with me now, and I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we praise you as the Christ of God. Lord Jesus, we confess with our mouths that you are the Son of God who came to this earth to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and be resurrected to life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went through all of that for us. You did all of that because you love us so deeply, so much more than we could ever comprehend. Thank you that that you were rejected by men so that we never have to be rejected by you. Thank you that you did suffer so that we never have to suffer. Thank you that you did die so that we might live and thank you that you were raised to life again on the third day so that we can have the glorious hope of resurrection with you. Jesus, in light of all that, I just pray that you would help us to not diminish your glory, but through the way that we live and the the way that we speak, through the things that we hold dear in life, that that we would show that, that you are our greatest treasure, that there is nothing better in this world than knowing you and being known by you. Lord Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be present and at work in us. Empower us to live these lives and to speak words which honor you as the great and glorious God that you really are. And Lord, we we do pray that you'd really lay on our hearts today to to go and to, to share this message of hope, to share the truth of the gospel and to help people in their confusion understand who you really are so that they may come to you too. We pray all these things in your great and glorious name, Jesus. Amen.